Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor, and uh, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. We're in this series called God is God, and everything else is an illustration. And we're recognizing that having a relationship with God can be difficult. In the very beginning of the Bible, we look at the stories of Genesis to help us understand what does it mean to have a relationship with God? How do we do it? Um, in the beginning of the Bible, God made the heavens and the earth, and we're going to see that God reaches across the separation between heaven and earth, and he invites us into his love. Uh, we're just going to look at one verse today. It's in your bulletin. It's going to be up on the screen. Um, this is the brand new section in the book of Genesis. And so we're just going to look at this one verse um, as, we, um, as we go today. Genesis 2, this is verse 4. It says this, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. We're going to see two things today from this verse. And the first is a question. This question comes at us from this verse. And the question is, what are we generating? What are we generating? This verse, Genesis 2-4, is the beginning of the Bible's answer to this question. Okay, I want you to understand what this verse is saying. Um, God made heaven and earth in Genesis chapter 1. We looked at that. We spent weeks going through that section. And the question is, what happened with everything that God made in Genesis 1? The answer is Genesis 2 verse 4. This, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. So Genesis and the rest of the Bible is saying, you know the heavens and the earth that God made last chapter? Well, here's what happened with the heavens and the earth. Here's what they generated. That's what this verse is saying. Um, and this word generations, it's actually the outline of the book of Genesis. Um, you can't see this yet if you're reading it for the first time. But if you keep reading Genesis, you're going to see that this word generations shows up again. This word generation shows up over and over and over and over again throughout this book. And this, using this word generations and using the phrase, these are the generations of, is actually how the author, Moses, marked off the sections of the book. Okay? So some of you like to understand the structure of something, like where is this going? What's the author designing for this? What's the purpose of the whole thing? Like some of you wonder that. And we're going to talk to that. Some of you are just like, I just want to read the verse in front of me and just get whatever I can get out of it. When I get to the other verse, I'll read another verse and get something out of that. I'm going to stretch you a little bit here. But this phrase, these are the generations of, it's a phrase that shows up 10 times in the book of Genesis. So this is Moses' outline for the book. Okay, now seeing this is important because it forces you to shape your thinking about the book around the author's sections. Okay, and this slide shows the 10 sections. These are the 10 generations in Genesis. In Genesis 2, verse 4, it's, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And so you read chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and then you hit Genesis 5, 1, and it says, these are the generations of Adam. You're like, oh, huh, I saw that phrase back in chapter 2. That's interesting. It's a new section. And then you hit chapter uh, 6, verse 9, and it says, oh, these are the generations of Noah. And then Noah's sons, and Shem is one of his sons. And then you see of Terah, who's the father of Abraham, and then you see Ishmael is one of Abraham's sons, Isaac, who's the other son, and then you have Esau, and then finally Joseph. 
And so in this outline, these 10 sections, what the heavens and the earth generate is covenant, fall, curse, war between peoples. And in it all, God acting and reacting to what people do. And so Genesis traces the history of Adam through Noah, through uh, Terah, Abraham, and his family until the Israelites end up in Egypt. And so what we see from all of this, one of the things that we see is that what God made is going somewhere. You remember we talked about this when we looked at the Sabbath? That the Sabbath uh, shapes time into a seven-day wheel that is rolling history toward eternity with God. Right? We saw that when we looked at the Sabbath. Um, the Sabbath shows us time is going somewhere, and Genesis 2 verse 4 begins this new section to show us where it's going. The idea again here is that the heavens and the earth that God made, here's what they generated. And so God's divinely inspired history in the Bible is tracking everything that he made to see what it produces. Genesis 1 shows that God is the author of multiplying life. Remember we saw that, that everything that God made, everything that lives, uh, it was made with the ability to generate new versions of itself. Plants, trees, birds, sea creatures, land animals, everything was made to multiply after their own kinds. And so things beget like things. Um, And so generations, everything generates offspring. And then in Genesis 1, we saw that God made us. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And we saw that this is Genesis 1's call to image bearers, right? The call to people that are called to bear God's image is to be fruitful, which means multiply the best of who you are into children and in adults through procreation and discipleship. We're to to subdue the earth. We're to lead the world toward God so that in all that you do, you want to use your power to image God and lead others toward his love. And then you want to have dominion, which means you are committed personally to the world's flourishing. So commit yourself to sacrifice for the good of others. And so even in the world that God made before the fall into sin, before things went wrong, even like in the beginning, there was work to be done. We're going to see this in the weeks to come. The world was made sinless, but it was not yet made righteous. Okay, and we're going to talk more about that as we keep going through chapter 2. So this is the generation of the heavens and the earth. This is what was generated by the heavens and the earth that God made. And this pushes us to ask ourselves a question. What is your life generating? Take a moment now and think about it. What is your life generating? Are you acting out as an image of God in your life? Um, Are you being fruitful? Are you subduing and having dominion? What is being generated by your actions, by your relationships, by your work? What is your life generating? generating. As a church, we know that 
there's so many things the Bible says, and we, we think the five most important things that our lives should be generating are reflected in our five values. Being gospel-centered, growing in community, living on mission, being city-positive, and equipping leaders. Like, these are the five things that we think are the most important aspects of God's image that we want to see multiplied in you, that we want to see grow in you so that we would fill San Diego and beyond with the character and the heart and the image of God. And so ask yourself, are you gospel-centered? Are you focused on Jesus and his good news at the center of your life first and foremost? Are you growing in community? Do you have friendships that both encourage and challenge you? Friendships where you are encouraging and challenging others? Do you live a life on mission Are you showing Jesus to others by the things that you do? Are you sharing Jesus and his good news with other people? And then are you city positive? Which means, do you see God in the city? Do you see God in the culture and in people around you? Do you celebrate that out loud? Do you serve those, the the places in our city that are broken? And then are you growing as a leader? And this doesn't mean that you have to become some giant leader of other people, but think about the influence that you have. Are you growing in your ability to influence others to see God and know him? What is your life generating? The design of God, God's purpose for us, is that we would generate more of him and the best of ourselves because the best of ourselves is actually him working through us. It's his image working through us. And so this is God's design. And to the degree that we line up with that design, to that degree, you'll feel like your life matters. You'll feel like your life is meaningful and significant. Now, this can feel kind of overwhelming, right? Because life is very difficult. Like for so many of you, life is unbelievably hard. And so this idea of multiplying something, sometimes we don't feel like we're multiplying anything. Sometimes it feels like we're just hanging on, right? That we're being swept up in the flood. It's all we can do to hold on to Jesus in the midst of the flood. Some of us have relationships that are excruciating. We're in situations and we feel pressure, we feel anxiety, we feel the weight of life. We are face to face with the brokenness of people around us. And you're like, I don't know if I'm multiplying anything, like I'm just trying to hold on. We have to bear a lot as people. Sometimes the weight that's on our shoulders that we're carrying is unbearable. We think about the weight of your own struggles and then the weight of the issues that people around you have. I mean, all of this affects us. I mean, how can we manage to image God? I mean, it feels like just a a whole other weight of pressure, right? Life is hard enough. Now God's going to add to that? Well... I want you to see another thing in this verse that I think will speak to the weight of life. Um, So we saw that this verse asks us the question, what are we generating? But second, this verse also shows us that we can't generate God's image alone. 
We can't generate God's image alone. This is the second thing that we're gonna see from this. Um, we can't do this alone, and the good news is that we're not meant to. We're not meant to generate God's image alone. There's this other word. We've looked at the word generations, right? There's another word in this verse that meets us in the pressure and the pain and the burden of life. There's one word in this verse that meets us and can give us strength for us and even for people around us. Um, it's the word Lord in all capitals. It's the word Lord. The second half of Genesis 2-4, it says, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. What I want you to see here is that in this passage, God gets a new name. Okay, God gets a new name. In Genesis 1, God is called God. The Hebrew word is the word Elohim. And if you've been around the church, you might have heard that word before. Um, and it really just means God the creator. So it's the God who creates, Elohim, the God who creates. But in Genesis 2, God is called Lord God. And it's not shouting. It's not like, Lord God. That's not what it's doing. Um, it's waking some of you up. Just kidding. Um, what we see here is that he's called Lord God. It, it's the same creator God as in Genesis 1. But now God has taken on a new name. And in our English Bibles, it's written as Lord in all capital letters. Right? You see that, right? Have you ever wondered about that? Some of you might have known that. If you've been around, you might have heard people talk about this. But the word Lord in all capitals shows up all over the Bible. All capital letters Lord is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the word Yahweh. This is the name that God revealed himself as to Moses in the story of the burning bush. Let me show you. This is Exodus chapter 3. God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. God is talking to Moses about what he wants Moses to do. And then God said to Moses in Exodus 3.13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So in verse 14, God is saying to Moses, you want to know who I am? He said, I am self-existent. I am eternally existent. I'm outside of time. I am. Then verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, this is Yahweh, um, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And so Lord, in verse 15, in all caps, again, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is also the Hebrew word which just means I am. So Yahweh is Hebrew for I am. Now the Jews thought, because, well, when I learned this, I got angry. I'm like, I'm mad, frankly, at the English translators of the Bible. 
I don't like the fact that they write the word Yahweh as capital letter Lord, because Yahweh doesn't mean Lord. Lord means master, it means, and God is master, and sometimes the Bible actually calls God Lord with capital L and lowercase O-R-D, because it means Lord, like he's just master, he's in charge, okay? But then they put Lord in all caps, and ugh, it gets me angry because, because I have to spend like 10 minutes talking to you about this, and this is why it is, and maybe it's cool because it's a thing, but like um, the Jews, so it's, it's because the Jews thought that this name was so special, that when God revealed this name to Moses, they thought it was so special and so sacred that they should never say it. And so when they read the Bible out loud, they would say the word Lord in Hebrew instead of saying the word Yahweh in Hebrew. Okay, and so English translators continue to do this by writing Lord in all caps instead of Yahweh. <clears throat> and so Yahweh, though, is the name that God revealed to Moses. This is what God said. He's like, this is my name. And when he commands Moses to say his name out loud, so there's nothing wrong with doing this. And sometimes in our desire to be devoted to God and to hold things as sacred, sometimes we can do things that God doesn't want us to do. And I think this is one of those things. So, um, and, and the reason why this is such a big deal is because of what this word means. It's because of what Yahweh means. And so now, well, like in my family, when I read the Bible and the word Lord comes in all caps, I just say Yahweh because that's God's covenant name. And then the kids are like, what's Yahweh? What's that? And I get to explain it to them. And so, you know, and then after a while, they're like, we heard it, dad, shut up. Don't tell us anymore. Uh, we get it. Yahweh, we get it. It's his name. Okay. Um, so, Exodus 6 tells us why this is so important and why I'm not just trying to like dazzle you with Hebrew knowledge. Like this is all like unbelievably important. Okay, in Exodus 6 verses 2 through 8, it says this, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh, not the Lord. I am Yahweh. That's what he says. He says, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. That's the name El Shaddai, there's a song, El Shaddai, that people sing. So it's a different name for God. But he says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. And so what God is saying here is that this is a new name for him. Previously unpublished, previously unknown, but now revealed. Yahweh is this new name that God is giving him. So he's saying, like, I'm telling you something new. This is a new name that I have. Exodus 2, ver or 6, verse 4 says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So this new name of God, Yahweh, this new name, all caps, Lord, it's connected to the fulfillment of his covenant. And so Yahweh is the name of God when he's fulfilling his promises. Yahweh is the name that God takes on himself when the promises that he's made are coming true. Verse six says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And so in this covenant, 
in the fulfilling of God's promises. God, as Yahweh, God will redeem his people. He'll rescue his people from their burdens and he'll redeem them with great power. Verse seven, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. And so in the covenant that God makes, as Yahweh, he will not only rescue his people and set them free, but he will covenant to be their God and they will be his people. So he will adopt them as his children. So a bit of good news here. God is not ashamed to love and to be known as the God of rescued slaves. If you are burdened by anything, if you feel enslaved to anything, if you feel shamed by anything that you've ever done, if you feel the weight of guilt on you, God is not ashamed to call you his son and his daughter. God knows the burdens that you're under. God understands the, 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 the struggles that you have. And God is not ashamed to be your father. And so, in marriage, often the wife will change her name to show her covenant union with her husband. so also God changes his name to show his covenant union with us. God binds himself to us in love and promise. And so friends, this is the God who watches what we generate in our lives. Okay, this is the God who is with us as we seek to Im like image him on earth. As we try to generate his image in our lives, this is the God. As we are fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and have dominion, we have a God who identifies with us. We have a God who has changed his name so that we would know that he loves us. So I want to step back and get big picture with you on the Bible because there's some layers here, right? Because God revealed himself in a new way to Moses. He revealed himself as Yahweh, translated capital Lord. And then Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, right? In this unbelievable act of power, and redemption, and rescue, and freedom. The world's superpower. I mean, it would be like if a God showed up and set some group of people in our, I mean, well, I mean, you could think about, like, slavery in our country. Like, if God were to show up and send plagues down upon our nation, and then he marched the African Americans and set them free. Um, so God does this amazing thing through Moses 
and he leads the people out. And then he brings them back to this mountain, right? The Mount Sinai is the place where the burning bush was. So that's, that's why Moses went back there, because that's, that's where God appeared to him. So Moses comes back and is receiving the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. And at the bottom of the mountain, he's got this nation of slaves waiting for him. These folks have been slaves for 400 years, longer than you can even imagine. And Moses needs to tell these folks, hey, where did we come from? Moses needs to redefine them and give them a new identity. And so Moses takes these stories that have been handed down from generation to generation to gener for thousands of years, stories that are probably written down by Joseph 400 years before, and then Moses is inspired by God to write a version of these stories that will help Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai to know, how did we get here? Who are we? Who is God? Where are we going? This is what the book of Genesis is in. That's what it's designed for. Genesis is an introduction to the book of Exodus. Moses is trying to help the people of Israel to know where'd you come from and where are we going? And as Moses writes down this history of God's relationship to Israel's ancestors, Moses adds something to the stories. And in Genesis 2-4, we see the first, one of the first examples of it. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And so what we see here, he says, he adds God's covenant name to the narrative. Right? These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created, not in the day that God made the heavens, the earth and the heavens, but in the, name that, in the, in the day that Yahweh God made the earth and the heavens. So it's not just Elohim, but it's Yahweh Elohim, the creator God who entered into covenant with us. So this is big. This is big. It was big for Israel because what Moses is saying is, hey, these ancient stories, it's the same God who's at work in your life. It's the same God who's been working from the beginning. It's the God that you know now, that you've seen. He's been working this whole time. He's been working throughout history. This is your God. And so this was big for them. It's also big for us because the story of the Exodus, it's our story too. For us living in 2019, the Exodus story is our story. Because through Jesus, we looked at this last week, God has performed another act of redemption. He's rescued us from our sins. We weren't enslaved in Egypt, but we're enslaved to sin, to brokenness, to suffering, to bitterness, to anger, to lust. We're enslaved to all kinds of things, and God has come to set us free in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Through the resurrection, uh, or through Jesus, God has also enacted a new covenant. So God made a covenant with Israel after the Exodus and entered into covenant with them. And through Jesus, he's done the same thing through us. 
through Jesus' death and resurrection, God covenants to us. He makes a promise to us that we are set free from the guilt of our sin. We're given God's power so that we might live in freedom. And once again, God has changed his name for us. Because through Jesus and his death and resurrection and then his ascension into heaven and with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God has changed his name again. The God that we worship is the God of Genesis 1. It is Elohim, the creator God. It is the God of Genesis 2. It is Yahweh Elohim, the covenant God who sets his people free. But now we worship a God who has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God has renamed himself again. He's taken on a new name so that we would know that he loves us. As father, he saves us. As son, I'm sorry, as father, he loves us. As son, he saves us. And as spirit, he is always with us. And so with all the stories that Israel and the people of Israel had heard for, you know, from Adam to Cain and Abel to Noah to Abraham, to Isaac, to, to all these stories that they've heard, Moses is saying to them in the book of Genesis, this is your God. The God who rescued you from Egypt, from slavery, is your God. He changed his name so that you would know that he loves you and you would know that you are his children. And today God says the same thing to us. And so if God changed his name so that he could bind himself to us in covenant love, then it's our relationship with God that enables us to generate his image in our lives. It's being united to him that makes us more like him. That's how we generate him. Heaven and earth, they were made separated, but God's covenant love has reached across that separation do you have his love? Do you have his love? Have you accepted his love? Do you love him back? I mean, this love is offered freely to us through Jesus. The only thing that could separate us is the way that we've offended him, and he's taken care of that. Our sins have been canceled on the cross. And he accepts us and loves us and will adopt us if we will turn the direction of our lives to follow Jesus. Have you done that? If you haven't, confess your sins and ask Jesus to forgive you and God will extend the bonds of his family love to include you. God will adopt you into his family. And for those of us who are in a relationship with God already, do you remember God's love? Do you remember that he loves you in the moments of life? Because that's really the key. The stereo, well, the, the, I guess the meme husband who says, I told you that I loved you when we got married, and if it changes, I'll let you know. 
right? I mean, some of us have Christian lives that are kind of like that. I committed to Jesus and, you know, we have an understanding, but there's no real relationship there. If you don't remember his love, if you don't remember that he cares, if you don't remember that he is, that he really cares about everything going on in your life, that he's present with you, that he is hurt when you're hurt, that he rejoices when you rejoice, that he is willing to give you his strength, his love, his understanding, his forgiveness, so that he, he might live through you. Without that, we dry up. And we have nothing. We need to remember his love. Friends, yeah, God's image, the image of God is generated when we live in relationship with God. Um, Genesis 2.4 says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. They're designed to go together. And it's our relationship with God that joins heaven and earth. It's our relationship with God that brings these things together. And we are only beginning to scratch the surface of what we can generate together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for changing your name for our sake. Thank you for continuing to reach out to us in love in forgiveness, to set us free by your power. God, help us to know that you are this God, that you are Yahweh, the God who makes covenant, the God who remembers his covenant, the God who cares, the God who exercises great power toward us. Help us to remember this love from you so that when we pray, we know that this is who we're talking to that when we read the Bible, we would know that it's you that we are communing with. Continue to help us to open up more of our lives to you. Help us to bring to you the areas that we're not imaging you and to seek your wisdom. Lead each one of us, God. Help us to image you even this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.